I had a had this really cool um, sermon that I was planning on preaching that I may um, preach tonight about Saul and David and how Saul wanted to look right before the people and how David wanted to be right. Because, I mean, they both sinned. They both did these horrible things and... Um, you know, Saul basically would just always be like, come on, Samuel, go out here with me. I want the people to think that I'm right with God. And, and David, you know, when he's confronted, he, he don't care about keeping his position. He don't care about keeping any of that. And he just, he just wants to be right, you know, you know, creating me a, a clean heart, you know, oh God. And, and I thought I was going to preach that, but, um, yesterday I, uh, I just filled up my little, pump and put some roundup in it because you know I got grass growing in my driveway you know like and I just look at that grass and I'm like and I look at the bare spots in my yard and and I'm like that is just insane that grass will grow right here on this asphalt you know but but not over here and you know where there's dirt and stuff like that so and I mean I've like taken it and killed it and sealed it and tried to do all this stuff and it's still like just growing right out there so I was just weed killing, you know, went into my flower bed and started just pumping that that roundup and just killing stuff, you know, saying die, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, and dandelions, like, I mean, any of y'all like got the dandelions? Like, I hate dandelions. It's like, okay, one hand, all right. So, um, it's just, it's just kind of interesting. I was doing that, and as I just sat there and killed, you know, killed these weeds and stuff, I, I thought about, you know, what our men's group talked about last time. I thought about how we're going to meet. So I said, you know what, the, the people need to hear uh, kind of what we talked about, and then I'm going to go into a little bit more um, detail about it. So um, when you think about weeds, you should think Matthew chapter 13. So let's go ahead and get started, okay? On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And I just stopped there and was like, on the same day as what? You know, so I just kind of went back as far as I thought I needed to to actually start this day. And, and I think it's chapter 11. You may go back and read it and think maybe the day started at 12 or whatever on chapter 12. But, but basically, from what I gathered reading this, on the same day, I'm like, on the same day as what? And why is he saying on the same day? Well, from what I could tell from reading it, um, you know, on this day, John the Baptist came to him and he started saying, are you the one or should we look for another? John the Baptist, you know, got offended and he's the guy that baptized Jesus and said, this is the son of God, you know, whom, whom whom I'm well pleased. He heard heaven open up. He knew who this was and and so Jesus had to had to deal with that. He had to deal with 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 John the Baptist, you know, coming. It started. It seemed like his day. And and as the Pharisees, as the uh, Jesus and his disciples were walking, they reach over and grab some a head of grain. And the Pharisees come after him, like it's not lawful for for you to be doing that. And you're eating with dirty hands and and just kind of getting on to him. So so Jesus was was dealing with that. And he healed a, a, a man's withered hand. But apparently, because it was the, the Sabbath, he had done something just awful. You know, I can't believe you're doing this on the Sabbath. They, they completely overlooked the, uh, the miracle to get on to him about following the rules. He healed a blind and a mute guy. 
uh, and they attributed that to demons. He said, man, he's driving out these demons by the prince of demons. And he's like, seriously, a house divided against itself is not going to stand. And he, he teaches the, the blasphemy, you know, the unpardonable sin, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And you're, you're attributing a miracle that I did, you know, something that I did to, to Satan, you know, that's, that's unforgivable. You know, don't, don't do that. And he's teaching all this stuff. And he says... Look, a tree is known by its fruit, okay? So what am I producing? You know, quit looking at the rule book and just look at me and say, what am I producing? Because that's how a man's really known. And the Pharisees like, well, hey, if you're really, really the Son of God, go ahead and give us a sign. And, you know, he had to be thinking, well, what have I been doing? But he says, no, no sign. I'm not going to do any magic tricks for you. The sign that you will get is the sign of Jonah as he was in the belly of a whale for three days and he came out. And so his sign, basically, I'm going to be dead for three days and I will rise again. There is your sign. And then his mom and his brothers are outside. It sounds like whatever he's doing, they're coming to see him. And somebody says, hey, your, your mom and your brothers are out here waiting to see you. They need something too. And he says, you know what? Leave them out there. You guys who are doing the will of my father are my brother, mother, and brothers and sisters. And you just kind of wonder if he's like us. Is, Is he getting aggravated? Because on that same day, you know, I feel like the same way. I got this one week till, till spring break and I was talking to somebody outside and I feel like some days, man, I have my sword of the spirit and I'm striking down the enemy. But it seems like this past week or something, I've had my armor on and I have just been taking hit after hit after hit and somebody's needing more and more and more and they're just taking and taking and taking. And I wonder if Jesus feels like this on that day. Everybody's coming after him. Everybody's got problems. He's taking, taking, taking. On the same day, on that day, when, when everybody's coming after Jesus... All kinds of different angles. He went out of the house and sat by the sea. I got to get out of here. I got to go sit by the sea. And still great multitudes were gathered to him. So he looks back. Wow. So he got into a boat and sat. And he's like, man, I can't get away from these, these people. And I may be reading too much into it. I may be reading my own feelings into this. But, but that's what I gather out of that. So he's like, all right, the shore thing ain't working. What are they going to do? Like get in boats and come out here or, or swim out to me and just tread water and look at me. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. How awesome was this guy's presence? For everybody to say, I got to be around that guy. Even the Pharisees, bad-mouthing him, are around here to take shots at him. They still want to be around him to see what he does. Because there's nobody like this man, Jesus. So he gets out on the boat. And he looks back at the multitude on the shore. Okay, figure he's trying to get away from everybody, but go to the next one. Then he spoke many things to them in parables. 
saying. Now, the, the, because of the parables things, the, the disciples in a minute are going to ask a great, great question. And I'd never seen before why they asked that question. I think until, you know, until yesterday when I was really looking at this and analyzing this. He says, behold, okay, so here's all this crowd, and he's had this day, and they're all like just waiting for him to say something. So he says, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. To which... Everybody probably from that shore had to just look at each other like, what in the world is he talking about? And I wonder, you know, if they did get it from that first reading. Or I even wonder if Jesus might have been doing this unless you eat of my own blood and drink, uh, you know, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood thing after he fed 5,000 and that whole crowd just came and it said after he said that, they just walked away and followed him no more. And Peter's like, what are you doing, man? That was our army. That was our mega church. Why are you running them off with these strange sayings maybe he was doing that maybe he was going so above and beyond and all this talk to where he wanted those people to either stay and really want to understand what he was saying or to go on back home maybe that's what he was doing because the disciples they come up and I guess they're not on the boat with him it doesn't sound like it was it sounds like he was on the boat by himself so they come up to the front and the disciples came and said why are you speaking to them in parables they don't get that. Lord, that's not how you build a mega church. Man, come on. Let's, let's talk to them plainly. Why, why are you doing this? You know, because they just, they just feel, I guess, that he's talking to them in such a way that he may, he may want to run them off. And the disciples are like, man, let's get the more the merrier. Let's, let's get people in here. Why are you speaking in parables? He answered and said to them, because... It has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. It's been given to you, disciples. But to them, this is so interesting, it's not been given. It's not their time to understand this. They're here for the wrong reasons. They're here because they want to see another trick. They, they want to see me do something cool so they can go tell other people that they were there. They, they're dying to get on Facebook and, hey, look what I saw Jesus do. Like, man, that's, that's what they're all about. To them, it's not been given to hear like you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have abundance. Now I've heard that verse taken so out of context to mean like if you give, you know, $100, God will give you 1000 You know, like this some sort of windfall lottery kind of thing that God does. But in the context, the immediate context, whoever has, has what? Has an ear to hear. 
who can hear me and understand. If you have that, guess what? More of that's coming and you will have abundance. What an amazing thing for me to realize. Oh my goodness, I have an ear to hear. I ha- he gave me the ability to read this word and interpret and apply it in a way that's amazing. And it's, I don't know what I'm going to preach next Sunday. But I'm like, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to preach. And he's like, well, how about you just preach this Sunday? And when the time comes, I'll give you what you need. You have. And to you, Adam Moore will be given. And you will have abundance of my word. And isn't that 10,000 more times valuable than any kind of windfall or any kind of money that you could receive to be able to hear from God who owns it all anyway? But whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. The very little bit of word that you do know, you won't live by it, you won't care about it, and you certainly won't be seeking out more of it. Next verse. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. And he's still in front of the multitude. I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And the hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Lord, will you open up my eyes so I can see? Would you open up my ears so I can hear? Would you open up my mind so I can understand? And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Guys, Jesus is telling us not everybody is going to to hear and understand his word, even if it's taught by the master himself. In them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, this is straight out of the book of Isaiah. Next verse. Hearing you, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and will not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes, they have been closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see. Guys, if you, if you love this word, if you seek to get along with him, if, if you look forward to those moments where his presence just engulfs you and you get some understanding from this book or he leads you in a direction that you know he wants you to go, you're blessed are your eyes for they see. And your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and they did not hear it. You think about Hosea and Amos and, and Ezra and all these guys. What they, they pointed toward Jesus. How would they have felt if they would have actually got to have seen him? 
And yet he's talking to a multitude said, well, what can I get out of it? What else can I see? Can, can I enter, will entertain me? Do a trick for us, Jesus. Therefore, now he's going to explain it. And, and for the people that, that, that are remaining, they're going to they're listen to this. He's going to give them an opportunity. He's going to speak plainly to them. And he's going to speak plainly to us. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower in, in plain, plain language. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. And you see examples of these people. Well, I know I should go to church. I know I need to read the Bible. I know. But but, but they don't. He who received the seed on stony places. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. No telling how many times I started and stopped as a teenager. I mean, kneeling at the altar, Lord, I'm going to live for you. And then as soon as, soon as I get the opportunity to tell my friends, no, I'm not getting into that mess tonight and as soon as I had the opportunity to say man this ain't what the Lord wants for us and I could just picture them the Lord really you a Bible boy now you oh what are you now some kind of Jesus freak or something nope nope I don't I don't have the ground to take it yet so soon as the word comes to me and I get an opportunity it's just gone so no, no telling how many times I knelt to receive, but the ground just was not ready to cultivate a fruitful tree. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. That, I believe, is where the majority, well more than 50% of the Christians in America are right there. They receive it, they hear it, they believe it, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. You know, I got I to gotta work. I don't have time for church. I got to build this. I don't have time for all that. And God, he lets you. He just says, fine. You know, if you want to do things your way, go for it. I'll take my hands off of that. And I'll let you live your life the way that you want. The deceitfulness of riches choke out the word. You don't have time for it. You, you, you got other things to do. And he becomes unfruitful. Just None of these are producing so far. But he who receives seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces it. So the trifecta is right there. He receives the seed on good ground. He who hears the word, 
Okay, a lot of people are doing that right now, Sunday morning Christianity, okay? Understand it. A lot of people are even going to understand this word. But here's where it's going to break down. Bears fruit and produces, does the word. We'll forgive that person that they cannot stand. We'll do that which they know the Lord is asking them to do. We'll stop that which they know the Lord is asking them to stop. It produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He lays it all out there plainly. So I ask you the same thing that I asked our men a month ago is, which one are you? Which, I mean, you're sitting here, you know which one you are, okay? I mean, honestly, it's taken me a long time to get there, but I believe I'm producing. I hope I'm one of these 30 or 60 guys. I don't think I'm maxing out my production in any way, but I do believe it's possible. And I want to be one of those hundredfold guys. And I believe he's cleaning out my flower bed right now so that what matters can grow. And I think if I'm not there, then I don't need to be here. You do not need anybody in this pulpit that's still struggling with weeds and not producing. So let's not look at that as like, oh, well, I'm not that good. I'm not one of these. This is attainable. Or Jesus wouldn't tell us it's attainable. And it's attainable on three levels. 30, 60, you would think the next one would be 90. But it, he goes up to 100 times if you hit them all and I've even likened this to giving and praying and fasting the spiritual disciplines how well you know do you do those and how how often do you look forward to even doing these disciplines because you know it'll clear out the weeds and it'll it'll make room for what matters to grow where are you find yourself in that story I can look back at my teenager years when I was the one by the wayside. When I was the one that could only last for short periods of time. And if that's you, you should be absolutely afraid. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and you don't have it. I'm afraid to reject him. I'm afraid to not do his will. I'm afraid to not do what I know I should do. Why should I be fearful? In Revelation 21.8, when he talks about the people who will have their part in the lake of fire, the first one is the fearful. Because I can't let other people know it might cost me too much. Well, look to the son that gave everything for you. And you're not even willing to give up your little reputation for him when he gave up all. Gave up communion with the father. Gave up his throne in heaven to come down here to this cesspool of sin and redeem mankind. What can we learn from a flower bed of weeds? Okay, because I really do believe, because I stayed there for so long, guys, decade, at least a decade, I was among thorns 
And the cares of this world choked out the word. I read it. I understood a lot of it. But I didn't do it. And there will always be for the believer who really wants to draw nearer to the Lord. Some sort of period of time or some sort of thing that they're going to have to, to endure. And it's the testing in the wilderness to put your trust completely in Him. What can we learn from this flower bed? Of How do we pull the weeds? Let's look at the um, next thing, okay? How does this apply to my life? Number one, negative influences have got to go. We read this quote at the alternative school by a guy named Jim Rohn. He is like this, uh, I think he died in 2007, but he was this just entrepreneur, businessman, public speaker, really, really successful guy. And um, his quote says this, You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You are the average of those guys. So think about, and and I thought about this long term over my my life. Um, You know, and, and, and I've thought about this in stages. You know, like when I was in high school trying to do the Christian thing. And I think about the five people that I hung out with. It's like, no wonder I failed. So, you know, when I'm trying to follow God and I, and I add some girlfriend into the situation and she becomes number one, the extremes kill or add to the, to the average very quickly. You know, like, like right now, I feel like I spend the most time with God. I get up early in the morning to spend time with him, to read his word, to pray. If I go walk with him when I'm writing, I'm listening to something about him before I go to bed. I'm trying to just just fill myself with him because if you use the tithing principle at 10%, I mean, man, you know, 24 hours, 2.4 hours, I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a lot of time, you know, if you tithe your time. Now, if you're more of a, a net kind of giver, well, then you'd say, well, we're awake about 16 hours. So there's, you know, 1.6 hours, you know, an hour and a half to spend with him. So far different than that first little thing I tried where, you know, was, I'll just read a verse every day or whatever comes up, you know, in this little devotional I'll kind of, kind of read. But to really get in this word and to devour it. Make sure he's the one you're spending the most time with because that will bring your average way up. But as soon as that gets replaced, if it gets replaced by a negative friend or or a negative influence, if that's your first one, then man, it's going to bring your average way down, way down. And so, you know, I thought about my five. God has been number one. But probably, and I hate to say this, because it's, he's probably been number one the last three years. Why? Because I became a preacher. And like, I want to know what he once said so that I can say it. Now, why didn't I do it before that? Because the cares of this world and the things that I wanted to do did not make him top priority. 
But now that I'm out front here, Lord, I'm like, if you're not on my life, I don't want to do this at all. So it changed everything, which is why if you want to make him number one in your life, put yourself in a teaching position where you have to go before somebody and tell them about God and what his book says. Because more than likely, you don't know, so the best way to know is to go dig in here and find out what he wants said. He only became number one for me because I became a preacher. And that's awful. I feel awful for that. That's just not the story that you want to say. But it just is the way it is. But I'll tell you this. He's been faithful. And he has sure brought the average of my life up. And I, I know God. What an honor it is to know God. Second person on my list was Tanya, my wife. She brings me up. I look to her as a standard of holiness that I don't have, that I want. You know, I do a marriage uh, counseling thing where I draw a big circle and put a dot in the middle. And I say, the dot in the middle is as close to God as you believe is possible. Okay, so at some point you should be able to put a dot on the center because because you can get this. And I remember putting mine just barely inside the circle as barely saved. And Tanya putting hers as almost at the dot. She was almost there, which told me, man, I've got to learn from this woman. I want to get as close to God as she is. I want to get closer to the center. And she's helped me do that over the last... 15 years, I'm so thankful for her. My mom and my dad, I've spent so much time with them. And that 800,000 bothers me so much because of her. She's the one that like, no, you don't ever pay interest. You, you never pay the minimum amount on a credit card. You always pay that thing off. You know, like debt has just, it's to, to, that's what she like instilled in me. And I'm so thankful for that. For my dad who works, who will come over and do things for me that I really should know how to do. And he could easily look at me and say, yeah, you should have paid attention to me all those years instead of wanting to be somewhere else. But he's so good and like, I know what it means to work because of that man right there. And I'm so thankful for it. He brings me up. And I wanted to put my kids here because I learned so much from them, you know, and I learn, but it's but it kind of becomes different people from here on out. Sometimes I spend time with Scott, who I've told you bought me the Bibles, and we have conversations. And I spend a lot of time with my, my teaching partner at school who's not even a Christian. You know, and, and, and so I don't, I'm not saying you shouldn't have any of those people. But if the other four, you know, bring you up, that gives you an opportunity to invest in somebody else's life. And they'll see something on you that they want and that they need. But your top four, man, have got to be solid. And number one needs to be God. Needs to, it's it's got to be Him. Number two, I'll try to go a little faster. Make sure you get the root. Find out the real cause. Okay? When it comes to, all right, how, how much time do you spend with God? Is, is why, why, don't, why don't I spend more time with God? It's so easy to say, well, I just don't have time. 
Okay? Now, I can tell you now, when we stand before God, Facebook alone for us will be proof that we had time to spend with God. Okay? Just that very social site alone will be like, yeah, you, you didn't have time, really? And he just pulls up the video of you scrolling through news feeds. I'm like, oh, God, please turn that off. God, come on. Don't do that to me. Or TV or anything. Why? What is it? Get to the real root of the problem. Because if you get fast cleaning out your flower bed, you'll just pull it and you'll snap the top of it off and it'll look good right there. But sure enough, very soon the rest of that thing it'll just pop right back up you got to get down to the root of the problem and most of the time most of the time I had to get to the point where say you know what God why don't I spend more time with you I'm not going to give you an excuse I don't have enough time I'm going to tell you the truth I don't really desire you Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's looking for. That's, that's it. Just be brutally honest. I like watching TV more than I like reading my Bible. But Lord, I want to change. I want you to help me. I want to want this. Will you help me? Bam, you just got to the root. You pulled up the whole thing. And now you can start feeding what matters and growing What matters? Number three, make sure it's a weed that you're pulling, okay? And I've done this way more times than I care to admit. You know, I'm sitting here rounding up and like, you know, like just killing it all. And like three days later, Tanya's like, well, you know that you just killed my, I'm like, oh man, I'm sorry. You know, it just all looked bad to me, you know? And so, I thought about this, you know, when I, when I was at Golden Corner, um, you know, I, I, my, my family just wasn't where we needed to be. My, Tanya was too stressed, and I was doing all kinds of outside ministry stuff that was good, but I tell you now, I wasn't doing what, was, what really mattered. I was playing the guitar in the praise band because I loved playing the guitar. I wasn't playing it for him. And so one of the things that, that God was asking me to do was to stop that and, and help my wife get our little children to church. You know, she didn't mind me playing every once in a while, but she didn't want me playing every week. And I remember telling, you know, our praise and worship leader, look, I'm going to have to bow out of this, you know. And he's like, oh, wow, you know, are you sure this is one of the things that needs to go? And I had to think about that. And it was. At the time, that was actually a weed that needed pulling from me so that I could get in to what really matters. And then when I got that added back, it was no longer a weed. I was doing it for the right reasons. I was able to play to him and not play because I wanted to play the guitar. The change was was crazy. So that can be kind of tedious before you pull it up. Is that really A weed. Number four, stay diligent. It's really easy to get lazy after a while. Even after what I did yesterday, I guarantee you, when I first got started and I had that full tank, I was going nice and slow and just chilling. And then after about 30, 45 minutes, I'm like... You know, just start walking. So I'm probably going to see these little zigzags and and whole spots that I missed (laughs) But keep doing it for him. 
I do the best job on my yard work and stuff like that. When I just say, when I think, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart like you're working for the Lord. So all of a sudden, if I can just look at that yard as his yard and not my own yard, I do such a better, better job. I borrowed somebody's guitar one time and he said, uh, man, just take care of it like it's your own. I said, you do not want me to do that. You want me to take care of it like it's yours, okay? And that I'll have to pay for it if I mess it up. So that's bad advice. Because I don't tend to really take care of my own stuff, which is my own flaw. But if, but if I'll look at it all like it's his, Tanya and my kids, they're not my family. They're his that he's put me in charge to take care of and to love and to nurture in the faith. I'll take it way more serious. Then if it's just mine, if it's his house and his yard, I'll take so much better care of it. Stay diligent. Look at everything that you have. Everything. Your kids, your businesses, your finances, your wife, everything. It's his. And be diligent with it. Last one, number five. Only look back when you're done. Because it would be really easy, even right now, to look back over the last three years that, that, that even I've been here. And to look, man, we were over there at the auditorium at West Oak. And now we're in here and we got this amazingly beautiful facility. We can now just kind of settle down and we can just kind of chill a little bit and just enjoy our church. And we don't ever want to do that. You want to... Always be moving forward until you draw your last breath. We are only advancing. Because if you look back, two things could happen. You could look back and say, that is great. Look, amazing what we've done, what God's done, what's all that. And then you just start thinking, well, I don't have to put that same kind of effort into it. And you get slack. Or you might look back and say, man, that's horrible. I can't believe that that's so pitiful looking. You'd be like, well, I'm just going to quit. Negative, negative things. Stay diligent. Stay in the moment. Stay in the moment. Do your best right now. It's the best way to live. So guys, in evaluating these, these weeds, guys, all I want us to do, and Nate, if you can cue up the music, I just feel like we need to do this. Guys, you, you, we all know I was identifying weeds this morning. I might share it with the men tonight, but I definitely ain't sharing it with y'all right now. <laughs> and man, I was just pulling these things up this morning. And you know, and it's just that I feel so strange right now because it's like that moment you know where you've dug up everything and it's just kind of mutilated and packed down you know but but now you need it to rain and you and you need God's spirit to just kind of kind of be all over it to grow what matters and and that's what I want to give us the opportunity today guys in the in the garden of your own soul whatever it is keeping you from the center of that dot is being as close to Him as you believe is possible. Let's pull up those weeds and let's start to deal with them and let's grow what matters. Let's grow closer to Him. So I'm going to come down here. I'm going I'm to kneel. I'm going to pray. 
And uh, I'll pray for anybody who wants to come and, uh, and join me.